you brought up accessibility. And the reason why you're taking a gummy at night and having to brush your teeth is because you don't have an option, right? That's what you have available to you. And that's a problem. And that's what we're fighting for. We're still living in prohibition. And who's suffering? Lots of people are suffering, including consumers. Like you don't have access to the best cannabis in the country, except in a few weeks, that's changing. So accessibility has been the hallmark of what it is that we do from day one. You're listening to To Be Blunt, the podcast for cannabis marketers, where your host Shada Taravi and her guests are trailblazing the path to marketing, educating, and professionalizing cannabis. Light one up and listen up. Here's your host, Shada Taravi. Hello and welcome back to the To Be Blunt podcast. I'm super excited to be joined by the co-founder of a brand that I am sincerely a fan of and really grateful to have a chance to sit down with Peter Barsoom today of the brand 1906. Welcome to the podcast, Peter. Very, very excited to have you here. I am super happy. We've got lots of great things to talk about, Jada. Yes, so much to unpack. I guess I kind of teed it up, obviously, in 1906. For most people who are familiar with adult-use regulated cannabis products in some of the major markets, like Colorado, for example, like I had mentioned before we started recording, I have visited that state and have been able to purchase your products through the rec market. They are traditionally little... They're edibles, but they're not gummies. And I don't want to say it's a capsule, but the the marketing and the labeling explicitly says to not chew it. So I guess let's maybe walk back and give us your story for, you know, what were you doing prior to launching 1906? Were you in the cannabis industry? Kind of what led you to get into the cannabis industry? And then give us, you know, the full introduction with the brand. How'd you start it? Why'd you start it? How many states you're operating in presently? And we'll dive in there. Okay. Well, great. Well, so a little background, 1906 is now the number one fast-acting brand in the country. It's the number one pill in the country. We're the number one microdose brand in the country. So really happy to be talking to you and be sitting here in October 2023 and where we are. And thanks to patients and consumers from across the country who embraced microdose cannabis as a way to uh, tune their mood and, and tune their daily lives. That was the vision from the beginning. You know, we started the company, I was in finance for, for 20 years, left because I wanted to do something more meaningful. And my co-founder and I started in 1906, really for three main reasons. One is we love smoking flour. One of the best ways to consume cannabis. And however, there are times in the day and places where you can't smoke flour. And most edibles just suck compared to flour. This was especially true back in 2015, less so today, but especially true back in 2015. And it's like, regardless of how you consume cannabis, you should have the best possible cannabis experience. And so the first reason why we started the company is to give people the best possible cannabis cannabis experience, regardless of how they consume. The second reason why we started the company is for a lot of people who are coming into the cannabis market, like my mom, who suffers from pain sometimes, she does not spell THC, does not spell CBD, and all she wants is give me something to help me with my pain. And cannabis is a confusing mess. What's AK-47? What's a milligram? Why am I putting Durban poison into my body, right? And so we wanted to make cannabis safe, accessible, and truly an alternative to alcohol and pharmaceuticals for a large segment of people who are coming into the market where it's not about getting high, it's just about feeling a particular way. So that was the second reason why we started the company. And then the third reason has to do with our name, 1906. That's the year that started the prohibition of cannabis. And our mission is to bring cannabis back to its pre-prohibition status, where it's a widely accepted plant medicine. And it's a daily reminder for us about where we started where we have been over the last hundred plus years of a racist war on drugs and the work that we still need to do as a society. So that's that, that's a little bit behind the origin story of 1906. No, that's very great to hear from your perspective and experience, because obviously I think 
it's kind of like a, a rush into the industry right now, right? There's a lot of excitement, which is good, I think, for the overall industry. But you highlighted, I think, a critical challenge, which is communicating the effects and the outcome to consumers. And an observation that I've had with 1906 in particular, and I'd love to kind of maybe like peel back the layers a little bit further. When I feel like I, you know, started interacting with the brand, you had always, from my understanding, approached it more from an effects base, which again, I think you're seeing more of that trend now because people are realizing, yeah, consumers don't want to or don't understand or can't remember. I mean, even speaking as an operator myself, the amount of times I've overly communicated what THC is versus CBD. And then a customer comes in and they, you know, inadvertently ask for the other product. And it's a clear difference, right? You know, being psychoactive, being high is a much different experience than just pure CBD, right? So kind of what was the, I guess, marketing journey for the brand to really think of how you were going to resonate your products with consumers, considering that, like you kind of highlighted as well, most people enter the market consuming smokables. I don't think that that is, you know, consistently going to remain the top category as we see new consumers enter the marketplace for, again, exactly what you articulated. You have people who do not want to smoke for a myriad of reasons, personal reasons, you know, professional, whatever, health and they're looking to enjoy cannabis. And so, you know, now you have this conversation that's unfolding of, okay, well, what are non-smokable products? And then how am I supposed to identify what's the right product? So again, from my perspective, when I would see your brand in the dispensaries, they were, you know, for more or less labeled as chill or bliss. And so you were giving someone those tangible comfort words that allowed them to figure out what is the effect that they want to feel. And so I'm just curious, was that always a part of 1906? Was it something that you evolved? Like, how did your team kind of come to that conclusion? And how was that conversation maybe like different than maybe some of your competitors were having or what you were seeing in the marketplace? Was it, you know, did it, did it land the first time where people are like, Oh, yes, I totally understand what chill is versus, you know, high THC or a milligram, you know, dosage, for example. Well, look, I'll tell you. So when we. First off, when we first started, everybody told us we were crazy, or a lot of people told us we were crazy for, for trying to do what we did. We really had, from the beginning, a few North Stars for us. One North Star was microdose. And because cannabis can be scary, people don't like to be out of control. And really, like one of the worst experiences you can have in the world is being way too high. Like you just feel like, where is the off switch? So, Giving people control and microdose was one of was what was one North Star. The second North Star was fast acting. I'm a New Yorker. Impatience is a virtue. I don't like to wait for anything, let alone medicine or edibles to get. And you shouldn't have to. If you have anxiety, you want relief now. If you have insomnia, you don't want to wait an hour to fall asleep. If you're in the mood to go out on a date or make love to your partner, you don't want to wait 45 minutes. So this, so that was our second North Star. And our third North Star was, you got to know exactly how it's going to make you feel. You shouldn't be playing Russian roulette with anything you put in your body, right? And so it was always bizarre to me the way edibles, you know, were, which is it, it, it's an indiscriminate or, or non-specific high. Because the fact is, even if all you want to do is get high, your kind of high is different than my kind of high is different than, than, than the next person's high. If you're a smoker, fine. You will smoke Durban poison or your smoke, you know, blue dream because you have that choice. You can choose how it is to make you feel. So I would say it was an anomaly to have this industry full of sugary gummies that was just about just getting high in, in, in a non-specific way. So we saw that from the beginning as like, this, this isn't, this isn't right for, for, for a consumer. And. We approached it then as, okay, so how do you give people what it is that they're looking for? And, you know, it's not that hard to discern sort of what are the main reasons why people walk into a, walk into a dispensary. They want energy. They want to focus. They want to feel happy. Uh, they want to feel sensual. They want to feel relaxed. They want to go to sleep or they want to address pain. And, you know, those are the sort of, if you cover those territories, that's 80 to 90%. Of what consumers are are looking for, so it wasn't any stroke of genius that we came up with that. That's kind of pretty obvious. I think where the work really was is okay. 
how do you give people that so it's not just marketing speed, right? And and that that's the hard part, and that's the science. And so from the beginning, you know, we started in 2015. We didn't launch the brand in 2017. That's because we spent two years in the lab working on the science, the science of fast acting, and the science of how you give people targeted effects. And really, the answer came down to it's all about the combinations of cannabis with other dietary supplements, and plant medicines that give people a specific that give people that specific experience. And if you peel back the onion a little bit, really, that's the way we've been really practicing medicine, you know, for the begin since the beginning of human history. It was never about here's a single molecule that solves this problem. That's been an aberration from pharma in the 20th century. The belief that one single molecule is going to make you feel happy or make you feel energy. That, that, that's not the way the human body works. That's not even the science. So the way medicine has been practiced is, and you, I would say even still is practiced today, is what we call you know, multi-molecular or polypharmacy, which is if you would go to a doctor and typically, even if they're giving you a prescription because you need something to help you focus, then it's like, well, I I'm having trouble sleeping. Well, Okay, there's now your ambient to help you sleep when your Adderall is, is too kicked in. Well, you know what? My libido is kind of down from my Adderall. Oh, well, here's a Viagra. So all of a sudden you're in this world where you're taking lots of different pills or pharmaceuticals, but that were never intended or designed necessarily to work together. And so we took a step back and say, how do we actually formulate things that creates the ideal energy experience or the ideal experience that you want to have when you're focused? Or what does it mean actually to be free of anxiety? But what does it mean to feel more sensual? And then with our team of scientists, it was about then identifying the different plant medicines and dietary supplements that work together to achieve that, that effect. And when we first started in, in, in Colorado and, and we started with chocolates and so we were doing five milligram chocolates, we actually originally wanted to start with two, but everybody said, nobody buys two milligrams. So we're like, okay, fine, do five and five milligrams. And we came out with our first line of chocolates that were targeted for, for specific effects. And the initial reaction was that's too expensive. These are stoners. They don't care about anything that is more than just getting high and all they want to do is have the cheapest stuff. So they don't care about flavor. They don't care about fast acting and they don't care about feeling a particular way. And we were like, I'm sorry, that, that's not true because we're not like that. And I know there are people like me like that in the world. So we really designed the brand and the company and the products around what we thought people like us want to need. And so that was kind of the, the, the early evolution. And it was a hard slog in Colorado because we, we only had a five milligram product. We were the only five milligram product in the market. We were the only fast acting product in the market. And we were the only product that utilized other dietary supplements and plant medicines. In fact, we were the only one to one THC CBD product on the market at the time. So just to give you a sense of like, yeah, it feels like, oh yeah, that's normal because I walk into a store and right. everybody's doing this. It's like, no, 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 no. Like we, you know, and I was doing pop-ups myself and begging to get on the shelf and always the reaction, not always, but generally the reaction as well. Yeah, this is too expensive or when are you going to make a 10 milligram product? And yeah, so we've come a long way. And it, it's really thanks to the consumers, you know, it, it's consumers who vote. And Absolutely. if we were wrong, then nobody would have bought our products and we would have never moved off the shelf. So Thank you to the 1906 consumers, you know, who, who gave us their faith. Yeah, you just outlined and highlighted so many different things that I guess a follow up to that is, yeah, what maybe I can assume why Colorado, just given the timing of when you launched and what opportunity there was. But you were just touching on it. You know, you're in a new marketplace where cannabis is fairly new. And so the assumption is that people are pursuing this higher dose product. You're coming in and you're trying to supplement saying it's not just THC, it's THC and other cannabinoids. Oh, by the way, it's also THC, other cannabinoids and other supplements. And you're creating it in a form factor and in a dose that is really appealing for someone who has maybe had a bad experience with cannabis in the past or really still has a stigma around cannabis. And so 
I want to understand a little bit more, you know, what was Colorado like and did it change at some point? Because obviously, like we're just highlighting, the industry is now caught up. There's so many brands, so many people who are now introducing other cannabinoids, other supplements, form factors, dosage. But to hear that you guys were really pushing the dial on that conversation in those early years, I can kind of imagine what it's like because I too remember, you know, those early years going to Colorado and I could buy a chocolate bar and it wasn't properly homogenized and maybe one was, you know, 10 milligrams and the other was actually 30 or 40 milligrams. And it was a really uncomfortable experience for me. But as somebody who had grown up consuming cannabis, I was a little bit more prepared for the journey of what an edible will do to me. And so I just want to understand, you know, why Colorado and at what point did you decide to expand into another market and what was that secondary market and how did that compare to what you were experiencing in Colorado? You know, how did that evolve and, and kind of, you know, through the customer story, the customer lens, like you're talking about, obviously consumers are driving the conversation and they're speaking with their money and their wallets. And obviously your brand has weathered the storms in the industry. And so kind of going back to those early years, at what point, you know, Colorado to the next state, how long was that time frame? So, you know, let's rewind the clock. It was early 2015. And so there were only two states that were legal. It was Washington State and Colorado. And the reason why we chose Colorado is our, because Colorado had the tourists. Like we were trying to build a national brand from the beginning. I'm a New Yorker through and through. I moved out to Colorado, you know, uh, but my heart was always in coming back to the East Coast. And so the question was, okay, well, between Washington State and Colorado, the choice was obvious because at least you had New Yorkers and other people from all across the country coming into Colorado. So our thought was, this is our test brand. It's a tough market. If we can be successful in Colorado, we can be successful anywhere. And being successful in Colorado means exposing the brand to people that are coming from all across the country. So you know, we heavily indexed towards out-of-state tourists coming into the state and in, you know, places like Aspen, Boulder, you know, generally the places that attract a lot of tourists. But, you know, Colorado is a tough market and it, it, to this day, like yeah, it, it, is. it t- takes no bullshit. Like it is a seasoned market. And it, if your shit doesn't fly, it it doesn't fly in Colorado. You'll you'll see it crash. So I love the Colorado market because it keeps us sharp, keeps us learning. That's where still there's a lot of innovation. Like for instance, we're launching our line of live rosin experiences. So we will be the first brand that all their experiences are live rosin right now. And by the way, we're not changing our pricing on that because it's the right thing to do. When we started, we said we wanted to be single strain. And we were the first and only brand that has been, that was single strain and has always been single strain in Colorado. And so now we're seeing, okay, the evolution of the market and technology is live rosin is a better way to extract cannabinoids. We were using CO2, which was the best at the time in 2015. We didn't really like butene and, you know, the other methods. So that's an example of how the Colorado market keeps us innovating and where we test new products and, and where we ideate. Our vision was always about how do we become successful in Colorado and then how do we expand into other states? And there really, you know, were two ways largely to expand into other markets. Number one, you either could win licenses or buy licenses, set up operations in, in, in every single market. That's expensive. It takes time. It's very complex. Or you can do what a lot of other, you know, gummy brands do, which is you license your brand to somebody and say, here's my brand. Here's my packaging. Here's my ingredients. Here you go. I'm handing you the keys to the kingdom. Will you please give me 10, 15% uh, uh, of the sale? And I'm going to trust that you will do it right. And as much as I'm a trusting person, you know, no. And I had learned from. Nancy at Wana and from the folks at Dixie and at Kiba, a lot of the challenges of this licensing model. And so we were like, okay, these are not great choices. And what happened is sort of serendipity, Shada. Rewind now back to three and a half years ago and COVID hits and we're in Colorado. 
and we're only in Colorado. We had been looking at, and we were planning to expand in, to, to Massachusetts and, and some other markets, and those were underway. But now we had that oh blank moment because the market dried up very quickly in Colorado because tourists stopped coming. Right. So it was okay for folks who were producing flour, but for uh, premium brands like us, you know, we were really looking at the abyss at that moment. And it's like how we're not going to survive if we just stay in Colorado. And, and we knew that, but we, we knew we needed to leave, but we didn't, but that was a survival moment. And literally a few days before, like, you know, the COVID pandemic sort of shut everything down. I received an email about it was a week before I received an email from now my, my, my dear colleagues and friends in Oklahoma, our Oklahoma partners. And they said, Hey, you know what? We're coming to Denver. We, we'd love to meet and, and talk about bringing you to Oklahoma. And, you know, I'm a New Yorker at the time. I was like, we're talking California. We're talking Massachusetts. Like you want to go to Oklahoma? And I was like, okay, well, out of respect, I'll take, I'll take the meeting, but walked in like with, you know, just thought it was going to be a a learning, but it was going to be an, it was going to be a no. And I had the meeting. I was very impressed with their operation, very impressed with the, with the Oklahoma market. But I remember coming home to my co-founder Gita and saying, Hey, you know, I've just met with the folks uh, at our partner. And they'd like to bring us to Oklahoma. And she's like, you mean like Tiger King, Oklahoma? Because Tiger King was on at the exactly. time, right? <laughs> so I was like, yeah, believe it or not. And so as we started to do our due diligence, you know, we realized, wow, there, 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 there's, there, there's really something here. And so we, we struck a deal, you know, relatively quickly. I mean, they've been our, our best partners for since 2020. And what happened was we had launched earlier in January of that year, our pills that we call drops. And we can talk all about kind of the evolution of how we got from chocolates to drops as well. But we had launched our drops and they were an instant success in Colorado. I thought that they were going to be good, but nowhere could I have imagined how successful that they would have been. So our partner said, okay, let's produce in, in, in Oklahoma. They had, they supposedly had all the equipment. We show up in Oklahoma. And their equipment is insufficient to make our products. So we're like, oh, what are we going to do? Like, we, we have to open up this market. Otherwise, the company's gone if we don't. So what we did is we spent like 10 days in Colorado, literally working 24-7 to build up inventory. We packed up the factory, like all of our production needed to make our tablets and we moved it to Oklahoma literally drove it up packed it up in U-Hauls ourselves drove it up and we and we set up shop and we're like okay let's produce here with all of our equipment just to make enough money and then we'll 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 figure it out this is insane we did that and we went viral overnight in Oklahoma and it was like whoa so and then we realized like wow that wasn't actually that hard to pack up the equipment and 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 move it you know, back to Colorado and Oklahoma. And we're like, okay, we're not, we don't have $750,000 to outfit the Oklahoma facility. And so we just learned, Hey, we can, we can do this. And then that's been our, our business model ever since. And what it has done is it's allowed us to expand into many markets for a fraction of the cost of what it would take to set up our own facilities allows us to work with the best operators in each market. We capture a disproportionate share of the economics. So most of these licensing deals are 10 to 12%. In our deals, we're getting between 60 to 80% of the revenue. And we control our destiny because we control the things that count the most, which is the product and the sales and marketing. They're the two most fundamental aspects of it. It's got to be made to our specifications. It's our people, our equipment. This is our product. Only our people can touch it and make it. And then in terms of education and sales and marketing, it's our people doing that. So that's how we were able to find that sort of place between setting up our own facilities for millions of dollars each and just giving away the, the keys to the kingdom to, to partners who are, you know, just have a, will never be due 
treat the brand the same way that we do and treat the products the same way. Yeah, you are outlining obviously what a lot of people are weighing the pros and cons against, especially as they try to approach going multi-state. It's, I built this great brand. I want to maintain the brand integrity. And then to your point with the equipment needed, which you were going to finish the thought and then I'll follow up with a question. That was it. So, I mean, I was saying like, you know, we, we, we figured it out. We spent the last three and a half years and we've cracked the code. We know how to open up markets better than anybody else. We also know how to exit markets better than anybody else. And that's the beauty of our model is that we can figure out, open up markets, figure out what works, optimize, and then, you know, invest accordingly. Hey, To Be Blunt fam, it's Shada here, and I want to give a shout out to my own brand of premium cannabis products, Restart CBD. As a daily user myself, I can personally attest to the effectiveness of our cannabis tinctures, topicals, edibles, and specifically our hemp-derived Delta 9 THC offerings. Whether I'm dealing with stress, body aches, or just need a boost in focus, Restart has a product and cannabinoid that can make me feel better. And our customers have been loving Restart too. Here are some actual quotes from our fans. Juice said, customer service alone deserves a five star. Always super generous when we come here. Also very professional and knowledgeable. Why, thank you very much. We take those five stars and we raise you a high five. And then Laura said, this is the absolute best dispensary I've ever been to. It's run by three sisters who are all equally knowledgeable about every product they sell. Ah, Laura, thank you for seeing us. We really are out here acting like a sponge, just trying to soak up all the information. So if you're looking for quality cannabis products from CBD to Delta 8, and yes, even Delta 9, we got you. Head to restartcbd.com. By the way, we ship nationwide. All our products are federally legal and hemp derived. So use the code 2BTOBE at checkout to get $5 off your first order on me. Our team is dedicated to providing you with the best cannabis products on the market, and we're proud to be sponsors of To Be Blunt. Thanks for supporting my brand and my podcast, and let's all restart our day with Restart CBD. Well, maybe this is a two-part question now because I'm curious if you've opened a market, what are the markets that you've closed? And then also on the... the in- I don't know if it's encapsulation because it's not a capsule, but it is a drop like you're referring to it. It's a pill. I would consume it with, you know, a glass of water or beverage. I'm not chewing it again, as the package says, do not chew this. From the podcast, just from my own operations, understanding, you know, when someone wants to go into another state, like you were explaining, you are either going and setting up your own infrastructure or you're finding someone to then license your brand and, you know, either passing over an SOP or you're going in and making sure that they have the equipment. I mean, I remember talking to Chiba Chews at one point and they have their gummies sitting in almost like a deposited, you know, uh, shape. And so that was proprietary you know, manufacturing equipment that if they wanted to expand in another state, which as they were expanding in another state, they had to then go reinvest in all that equipment just to maintain consistency with the product. So the question is, why a drop and why not something maybe as a capsule where maybe it, to me, it, it seems like maybe it's a little bit easier to, to manufacture. I'm just curious, what is some of the direction motivating you to make it in the shape, to make it in the form factor? Is it really that more complicated than making a gummy? But obviously, again, gummies we've seen consistently still have challenges with consistency, depending on the shape of your gummy. I know Juana has gone and gotten, you know, a custom mold essentially. So all those things into consideration where you like, well, we want to make something different. So let's make something in a different shape and in a diff- slightly yeah. different form factor. And then when you actually were going to launch it, what was that, you know, experience like? Was it very easy to set up the shape in the proprietary uh, brand around it that you're then going to go try to emulate in other states? Or was it a little bit harder to, you know, figure out and iron out the details to get a consistent yeah. product as you're scaling? Look, I would say it, that's a great question, Cheetah. And it, it, from the beginning, we always thought of, about the brand as it starts with how you want to feel first. And then secondly, how you want to consume. 
And consumers should have the choice of how it is they want to consume. Do I want to bake? Do I want to smoke? Do I want to drink it? Do I want to swallow it? You know, so on and so forth. So at the same time, it was always strange. Like, why is everybody eating gummies? Like, cannabis is medicine. That's not medicine. That's sugar. That's calories. That's all kinds of other stuff in your body. Like, it's candy. And if you want candy, Godspeed to you. But if this is medicine, it should be in a medicine format. And it was bizarre that 80% of the market was, or 70% of the market was gummies, maybe 15% was, was, was chocolates, and then the rest, all other things. And it's like, hey, cannabis medicine is delivered in a pill. Like, that's the way, if you're in the pharma or supplements industry, you say, how do people, how do people take their supplements? It, no, gummies are a small portion of the market. So it was bizarre that that's the way the market was. And I think it was just because it, you know, uh, there wasn't the science and the sophistication in the market. Like, remember where the industry came from. The industry came from, it had to hide in the shadows. And hiding in the shadows means, yeah, anybody can make a gummy. Just throw a bunch of oil in, slur it up. And it's, there's, you know, there's nothing hard about it. And that's why everybody and their mother is making a gummy these days, because it's easy. And so I think part of it is like, that was the legacy industry, easy to hide it. You know, it's candy. People are just using it to get high. But it's like, if I'm going to, you know, tell my mom, here's something to help you sleep, you know, but sorry, you have to brush your teeth and you have to consume all these calories. And by the way, you're 80 something and you really shouldn't be taking so much sugar before you go to bed. Just again, it doesn't make sense. Right. But we also knew that there was a lot of stigma around the pill, right? A lot of people have an issue with, with pill. There's nothing, and, and it's really not about pills themselves. It's about the people and the motivation behind the pill. So what we said is like, if we're going to do a pill, we got to do it totally different. And so we had to change the name from a pill to a drop. We have to change the shape from just this, you know, to make it more interesting and appealing. It has to be easy to swallow. It should be fun. And that's why we color code our pills. And why does it need to come in this plastic bottle? Uh, uh, and so we made it into a recyclable tin. And so we really looked at what are the best things about pills and tried to retain and capture that. And then add on here are the other, here's why people like, it should be fun. Cannabis is about and, and affecting your mood should have pleasure and joy associated with it, not be anxiety ridden. And so that was the whole framework around how we designed and, and, and developed the pills. It's sugar-free, it's calorie-free, it's vegan, it's gluten-free, it's just medicine. And it's discreet and it's portable and it's universal. If you're in the gummies, some people like blueberry gummies, some people like cherry gummies, that, that, that's fine. But one of the things that always motivated us is access. Cannabis should be accessible. And if it's going to be accessible, then a pill is the most universal way to deliver medicine that makes it kind of as accessible as possible. Yeah, I think it's an interesting journey the industry has been on to kind of what you were just sharing. You know, we use gummies or, you know, this this experience of a pop brownie, maybe because it's familiar, because it's comfortable. That's, you know, what was the accessible product in those formative years, those early years of the industry. But it has been really exciting seeing the disruption and the innovation. And to your credit, kudos for kind of coming to that conclusion, you know, before the rising tide really created a wave almost that you helped pave that way, right? To, to really allow the consumer to have a different choice and to motivate them to find products based on an effect versus, like you said, a flavor or the form factor necessarily, excluding people smoking edibles, things like that. I mean, I'm certainly a culprit of you know, my husband, I, I don't smoke as much these days. And my husband is like, why do you eat a gummy every night before bed? I'm like, because that's how I you know, get my cannabis. And so in trying to reconcile that experience, especially as new consumers are hitting the market, as you're evolving into different, you know, aspects of the industry. So I just wanted to kind of, you know, acknowledge out loud. I think that is sometimes difficult for people in the industry and, and, you know, knowing who my listeners are, we want to be innovative, but we're also, I think, scared, right? Scared of the parameters that the industry is placing on us. Or, you know, I think people sometimes don't look beyond where cannabis is going. They're just so excited that cannabis is here. I think a big 
sentiment around Colorado cannabis, which again, like I mentioned, I've spent a lot of time in that market, not as an operator, but just as a consumer, as somebody who was very excited when Colorado went legal. And, you know, the sentiment was, and, and a little bit still is, you know, weed is legal. <laughs> they, they, they just are very excited that you can get cannabis. And so to see some of the innovation that you're articulating, that you're driving, being replicated across other aspects of the industry is really cool to hear because I definitely remember when 1906 had chocolate, but I didn't realize it was like kind of the pandemic time that y'all introduced the drops. So they're so iconic now. I feel like anytime I go into a dispensary and I see your, you know, displays, the color coding, the bliss is my favorite. So just those names of things. It's like, oh, I know how this is going to make me feel. I like the way it's going to make me feel. And so just from a branding perspective, from a marketer, my listeners also know that, you know, branding is one of my favorite areas to focus on because at the end of the day, we are all selling cannabis. And that's not to belittle, you know, the formulation or the science or the, you know, innovation that these brands, your brand is bringing to market. But at the end of the day, you know, to an uneducated consumer, it's, I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to feel pain or I want to sleep better or I want to have, you know, better. I would, I would say to an educated consumer, you don't have to be uneducated. It's really about how do you want to feel? And, you know, you said something really spot on, Sheeta, which is you brought up accessibility. And, um, and, and you said the reason why you're taking a gummy at night and having to brush your teeth is because you don't have an option, right? That's what you have available to you. And that's a problem. And that's what we're fighting for. We're still living in prohibition. And who's suffering? Lots of people are suffering, including consumers. Like you don't have access to the best cannabis in the country, except in a few weeks, that's changing. So accessibility has been the hallmark of what it is that we do from day one, from making our products approachable or making our products safe putting, you know, creating even our pouches of 10 milligram pouches so people can just try. And in a couple of weeks, we are going to be going nationwide. So soon consumers across the country are going to be able to go on the 1906 website, order, put in their credit card and have it shipped directly to their home, 100% federally legal. This is a game changer. We don't have to wait for federal legalization. We are done waiting for the federal government to act because we don't need to. This is 100% federally legal microdose, 1906 pills, drops delivered directly, uh, shipped directly to your doorstep. And we think that this is going to upend the industry. We think this is going to be a big hit among consumers, consumers who live in states like yours that don't have access to dispensaries. And including consumers who may live in, you know, uh, uh, other, other states where they have dispensaries, but they don't want to go into a dispensary. My mom doesn't really want to go into a dispensary. And we have everything delivered to us. We get our supplements delivered to us. We get our alcohol delivered to us. So it makes, again, it, it, it doesn't make sense why we should prohibit consumers from having access to cannabis, especially microdose cannabis. So our view is that, look, if you want stronger stuff, yeah, you should go into the dispensary. Five milligrams or more, you should go into the dispensary, talk to a bud tender, get the education, you know, so on and so forth. But for microdose, for two and a half milligrams and below, it should be, and it is 100% legal to have it shipped directly to your doorstep. So we're super excited you know, other than, and, and really a big shout out to Can and Happy and many of the other beverage brands because they're the trailblazers. They're the ones that sort of open this path up and they've been really successful at it, you know, and so we're joining them on this, on this journey, not yet a revolution, but on this, on this journey. So they've paved the way. We think this is going to be really successful because people are used to getting pills, supplements, and medicine shipped directly to their home. If the beverage companies can do it right, like we don't normally order beverages. I don't order a pack of Diet Coke to have it delivered to me, right? I don't order kombucha to have it delivered to me. But they found that, yeah, actually consumers are are willing to do that. So consumers are willing to do that for cannabis beverage. We know that the population who want to do that for our drops is going to be orders of magnitude larger even. 
Yeah, I'm obviously excited to hear this because I know the cat's out of the bag with hemp derived. I mean, obviously, you're acknowledging a conversation that is a little challenging to some sides of the industry. I've certainly been living and existing in it. Like I mentioned, and my listeners know, you know, I operate in the hemp derived space. So, you know, it's maybe a little bit perplexing for people to realize, but yeah, you can get legally high in Texas. You want to drink it, you want to eat it, you want to even smoke it. We have figured out through the farm bill language how to have access to those products. And I remember, you know, early days of the podcast communicating that I worked in hemp and people were kind of like, oh, that's fun. You know, CBD, good for you. But now you're seeing the market almost kind of shift the opposite direction where you see the regulated side of the industry is restricted to states, state boundaries, state regulation, state law. And then you see hemp, which is federally legal thanks to the farm bill, creating a pathway for these products to be direct to consumer, right? And so yep. I think as I started observing brands like Can, like you highlighted, Happy, realize that opportunity. I just, it, to me, is just such a conversation that I'm excited to continue having and certainly, you know, lift your brand up in that, in that same manner of, you know, good job for acknowledging what is going on in the hemp side and how do you kind of, you know, drive that forward for everybody to kind of realize this isn't a, you know, good versus bad. I think there's a lot of sentiment. People feel like hemp is ruining cannabis, but my listeners again also know where my sentiments are about this. And it's not that I just like people who agree with me, but I think as an industry, we need to talk about these issues and we need to, you know, like you're highlighting your drive is ultimately for accessibility for consumers. And I think that that should be the part of the conversation that we're focusing on, right? It's this is the law. It's not, I'm always weary and mindful of using, you know, the term loophole. Although I think that's what most people would effectively accredit this to is this is a loophole in the farm bill. But also as somebody who has sat down with the authors of the farm bill, they purposefully have left it, you know, vague for interpretation. And so interpret that as you will. But obviously a lot of brands like 1906 have interpreted it. And so I'm just curious, you know, to learn a little bit more about how you became educated, aware, kind of came to that conclusion. Was it having conversations with brands like Can and Happy? Was it just seeing that they were, you know, being able to extend their brand into more of a multi-state direct-to-consumer fashion? Because again, to kind of like back it up, when I meet people on the regulated side who hear what's going on in the hemp derived, they're either like you who are like, cool, opportunity, cannabis can be more accessible. Or they're like, man, fuck hemp. Hemp is creating a problem for big C cannabis. And my point is, it's all cannabis. The cannabinoids yeah, yeah. are the same molecules. So to exactly. it's like, you, it's, it's, like, it's like you can get caffeine from a lot of different sources. Right. You can extract it from coffee. You can extract it from guarana. So, look, I think um, those are all kind of, you know, areas to, to explore. I take issue with calling it a loophole. It's the bill. It's right. not a loophole. There is no loophole. That's the language. Here. That is the language of the bill. So to describe it as a loophole is inaccurate. You can say that maybe that wasn't the, I don't know, so it, right. but it doesn't help to say what the intent was. That is the law. Right. And so... We are following the law. And by the way, the FDA was supposed to promulgate rules around this. They said, no, we're not going to do that. So we are following the law. We're not following a loophole. There isn't a loophole to close. You can change the law, but uh, I think it's wrong to characterize this as a, as, a, as a loophole. The law says this. If I say, hey, you know, the law says 10 milligrams and I do a 10 milligram product, I don't call that a loophole. So the law says 0.3% by weight is allowed THC. That's the law. Just like we don't call 10 milligrams a loophole, we shouldn't call 0.3% by weight a, a loophole. I take issue with that because, and then w what have we seen that's happened? Let's rewind the clock. We didn't get here because there were industry leaders who said, let's create a cannabis industry. We didn't get here because politicians and regulators or doctors woke up and said, you know, we got it wrong, guys. Cannabis really is medicine. No. We got here because consumers voted and consumers are voting now. They are saying we want access to legal cannabis. Now, it should be tested. It should be regulated. And we follow all of the state regs. And so we believe in having a 
well-regulated and safe industry. But at the end of the day, it's consumers who are asking for this. So the folks who are in the industry who are complaining about this, it's like, what are, again, I asked the question, what are we fighting for? Isn't this about the end of prohibition? Isn't this about people having access to cannabis? Or is this about protecting retail dispensaries in a particular market? So we always look at it as what's our North Star? Our North Star is consumers should have access to cannabis. This is, this is a gift from nature. It is the best possible. It is the greatest plant medicine on earth. And, and consumers should have access to it. I love the way you articulated it. It's, again, a conversation I find myself in the middle of far too often, probably because I put myself in the middle of the conversation and because I'm a very public-facing hemp person. But I agree with you. I think that, you know, when people ask me, when's Texas going to legalize? I say, we already have access to legal cannabis. Again, how do you want it? And I think that is really exciting. And to your point, it's not these politicians that are going and pushing this. It's the operators and the consumers who are creating the market and the just the push toward having more of these products accessible, yes, but also safe. And I think that's a big discernment to the jump of, I think, a lot of the people who are maybe negative Nancy's around this conversation are, oh, well, hemp drive isn't safe. And I would argue that there's good and bad practices in every aspect of every industry. And so people need to um, continue to kind of, you know, be open-minded. And so that's why I'm really grateful that you're excitingly launching into this side of the industry. I can't wait to be able to go to your website and being able to order 1906 direct to consumer. Kind of final question on that vein, how are you approaching marketing? Again, you've built a really great brand. I think you definitely have brand awareness for those cannabis consumers, but now being able to have a website that anybody can, you know, come and access these products. How are you starting to tackle marketing given you know, the advertising hurdles and some of those challenges that we deal with in terms of how we can, you know, use some of the current platforms that want to censor cannabis brands. So it's like an exciting opportunity to be able to kind of have the reins lifted that you can just talk to anybody and everybody who will listen, but also then trying to find those target consumers yep. in the World Wide Web is a big task. So I'm just curious how you guys yeah. are going to approach it. Well, we're going to make a lot of mistakes. Sure. Uh, that's the first thing. No, really. I mean, I, I, we, that's, that, this is about testing and learning. We made tons of mistakes figuring it. Like we've cracked the code on retail dispensaries. We know how to do retail dispensaries. We know how to educate tenders. We know how to do our visual merchandising. We know how to do promotions. So we figured out how to, how to make 1906 work and how to elevate the dispensary experience. Now, but we did that through a lot of hard work and a lot of mistakes. And I see this as like, we're going to do the same thing on D2C. This opens up a whole new world. We have a couple of kind of what I would say North stars are. Number one, we don't want to spam people. So it's not about like inundating you with tons of emails and tons of aggressive marketing to get you to buy. Number two, it's about creating authentic, organic conversations. These are important conversations about mental health, about sleep, about energy, about ADD, about neurodivergence, about depression, about anxiety. And what we have a role to play in educating consumers and being part of that conversation. What are we seeing today? Microdosing is, you know, uh, uh, a big thing that people are talking about and thinking about. Well, we are the legal way to microdose. And microdosing mushrooms or microdosing other psychedelics, you know, can have amazing benefits. And I'm a big proponent, you know, if that works for you, that's great. But unfortunately, it's not legal. And so you don't know your sources. You don't know where you're getting it from. Well, we are the first national cannabis edibles brand, you know, that's going D to C. Uh, and I say edibles, you know, so we are the first national cannabis edibles brand that, that's going to D to C. So that's going to engender, uh, as sh- as it should be, a lot of trust because we operate in nine regulated markets. So all those practices that we learned about heavily regulated markets like Pennsylvania and Ohio, that's that's this that's how we that's how we operate today. So you know we're a brand that 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 that, that can be that can be trusted. So I I I think you know the conversations on TikTok in particular is a, is a big focus. That's where people are talking about mental health and awareness and these other things. So 
in our view, kind of the marketing is going to be most effective when it comes from people you know and trust. It's not about us. People aren't going to stop taking Adderall because they see a genius ad. That's, that's just not the way consumers work, even if you're not happy with your Adderall. But you can just see an ad and be all of a sudden, oh, yeah, you're right. Now I'm just going to click on this and, and buy it. No, you're going to, these are really important, significant health decisions. And when you make those decisions, typically people are going to somebody that they trust. And we have the beauty is we have a community of, you know, hundreds of thousands of people that use 1906. And now that we're going in this direction where it's available to consumers across the country, you, you'll see us playing more of an active role in, in, in those organic conversations. Well, very exciting. Can't wait to be able to go to the 1906 website and add some bliss and genius to my cart and ship it to wherever I might be in the United States at any given time. And really, truly big fan of your brand. Peter, thanks for joining me on the podcast and sharing about, you know, just the journey of 1906, as well as a little bit of the future inspiration and innovation for all of our listeners. So thanks for being on the To Be Blunt podcast. Really appreciate your time. That wraps up another fantastic episode of the To Be Blunt podcast, and I hope you've enjoyed the enlightening discussions and insights we've shared today. But the conversation doesn't end here. I invite you to join my vibrant community of cannabis enthusiasts, experts, and advocates. So what can you do to stay connected and get involved? First, make sure you subscribe to To Be Blunt on your favorite podcast platform so you never miss an episode. And if you've enjoyed our show, I would truly appreciate it if you could take a moment to rate and review it. Your feedback helps the podcast grow and reach more listeners like you. Next, head over to our website, www.tobebluntpod.com, where you'll find a wealth of resources, exclusive content, and our show archives. While you're there, be sure to sign up for our newsletter to stay up to date on the latest cannabis news and events. Lastly, I would love to hear your thoughts, questions, and episode suggestions. Connect with me and the show on social media. Find us on Instagram at tobebluntpod and at theshadedtorabi. Let's keep the conversation going and work together to dispel myths, break stigmas, and celebrate the incredible world of cannabis. Thanks again for tuning in, and until next time, stay curious, stay informed, and stay blunt. Love this episode of To Be Blunt? Be sure to visit theshadatarabi.com slash tobeblunt for more ways to connect. New episodes come out on Mondays. And for more behind the scenes, follow along on Instagram at theshadatarabi. 